From Moses, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, this is the In Her Boots podcast, a show about women cultivating the sustainable and organic agriculture movement and how she does it. My name is Lisa Kiverest, and I founded and lead the award-winning Moses In Her Boots project, providing training, resources, and support for women farmers. I'm a farmer myself, running in serendipity with my family in Wisconsin, and am the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. We kick off a new In Her Boots podcast series with Barb Perkins of Vermont Valley Community Farm. Hear her inspiring story from being an urban girl growing up in Milwaukee to a criminal justice degree to launching the farm with her husband, David, in 1994. A pioneer leader in driving the community-supported agriculture movement in Madison, Barb shares the first time she remembers hearing about the CSA concept through the journey of growing their successful operation. Barb Perkins, together with her husband David, ran Vermont Valley Community Farm CSA from 1994 through 2018. Vermont Valley was one of the first CSAs in the state and one of the largest. The farm engaged its members in many ways and became a vibrant community over the years. Barb is an advocate for CSA and an educator for CSA farmers and the community. Barb and David retired the CSA after 24 amazing seasons. Vermont Valley continues to grow and sell certified organic seed potatoes. We are kicking off a new series for our In Her Boots podcast today with the very inspiring Barb Perkins of Vermont Valley Community Farm here in her very cozy farmhouse uh, in the most beautiful valley I think I've ever seen. Seriously, this is gorgeous here, Barb. And I could, well, you'll tell us the story, but I bet the first time you saw this place, you said, hey, something magical is going to happen here. And most definitely it has for decades now, right? But you didn't start on a farm in your life personally, right? You were an urban girl. I was an urban girl, yeah. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Brookfield in the suburbs of Milwaukee. Although as a young child, I lived in the city of Milwaukee with a 60-acre vegetable farm right across the road from us. <laughs> that was a little foretelling. Who knew, right? <laughs> Who knew? Oh, that's fun. But no grandma's, I mean, no ag kind of roots or No ag stuff. roots, no visits to farms when I was a kid. My family for generations were Milwaukee people. So how, how did things end up here? What was your early career pre-farm like then? So my degree is in criminal justice. I really enjoy working with uh, troubled youth and women offenders. And in college, I met David, who, who's, your husband? who's my husband, who was working on his undergraduate degree in agronomy. And he grew up on a diversified family farm in southern Wisconsin. And after we were married, he had an internship in Finland. We headed off to a farm in Finland where he worked and I learned a bit. Um, It was cows and crops. And then we came home from Finland and this would have been 1980. And we bought our first farm in Jefferson County. 
He was then employed at an egg co-op in Johnson Creek. And so we lived on this farm for three years where we raised cash crops. And he worked at the egg co-op and I had my very first garden. I taught myself how to plant vegetables, how to start vegetables. I sat on the floor in the Jefferson Library just pouring through books. Um, that this was, was my all new for you. Completely. Brand new. We did not have a garden as a kid, although we had a very large yard. Uh, my mother had a couple tomato plants and rhubarb and chives. Uh, that's what I grew up with. Uh, after three years on this farm, Dave got the bug to go back to graduate school. So we moved into Madison, lived in Eagle Heights, where I then had a much larger garden at Eagle Heights Community Gardens. Um, we both were employed in Madison, and it was 1992 that the first CSA came to Madison. There were actually eight CSAs that year, the Madison Area CSA Coalition, MAXAC, which is now Fair Share, was born, and we heard about CSA. I can still remember reading that newspaper article, looking at it, pouring over it, saying this makes this concept makes more sense than almost anything we'd ever heard of. We were just unbelievably excited about this new concept we had just learned about. We went to the CSA open house at Obrick Gardens. We picked our farm. We joined the farm. We became very involved as members. And after about a year of being CSA members, we decided, yes, this is what we could do. We could have our own CSA farm. We had been looking, we'd been living in Madison for about 10 years after we moved back from from our country living in Jefferson County. And we had been talking about moving to a farm and we had been looking at many, many farms. And But all along, we didn't know what we would do once we got there. We kept looking at farms. I had all these aesthetic criteria. I wanted the stream. I wanted a long driveway, yada, yada, yada. But none of that really happened because we didn't really know what we were going to do once we got there. As soon as we joined a CSA, it was like, it was the aha moment. This is what we can do. So we started looking for land again anew, now knowing what we needed. And what we needed was we needed a farm close to Madison because we wanted our members to be involved in the farm. We wanted a farm with a local telephone exchange because that was really important. Everything was done over the phone in 1994. <laughs> There you go. But you know, it's, 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 it's not, it wasn't that long ago that no. CSA erupted, and you were really right. a pioneer in leading this. It's so accepted today that we think it's always been here, but this right. is still a baby in it's, the growth It's still phase, a baby. Right? Or a toddler, maybe now. But. Maybe a toddler. Um, and we but needed local, really... Yeah, you yeah. had different communications then, too. Oh, much different. There was there, We weren't emailing. There was no There were no websites. There was a lot of talking to potential members over the phone. And all of our, you know, membership communication was done through U.S. Post with an envelope and a stamp and a handwritten handwritten uh, address on an envelope. So, sorry, your, your criteria, I, I interrupted you. You were talking about the land being local to Madison and the local The local exchange. phone, the local exchange, and really close to Madison because the CSA farm that we had belonged to, which was Zephyr Community Farm, were really involved their members. And we just realized right off the get-go how very, very important it was to involve CSA members. So, and of course, we needed really good soil. And David, as an agronomist, understood 
really good soil. And so we found this lovely farm with lovely valley bottoms. And if we knew now what, if we knew then what we know now, this very likely would not have been the farm that we chose. It's so hilly. We had no flat ground. And of the 40 acre parcel that we purchased, five acres are tillable, the rest is wetland. It's very beautiful with a lot of wildlife. And of course, the five tillable acres are on a quite steep hill. We managed, and we managed quite well. We were renting parcels of land from three different landowners um, in those first probably 10 years. And we did not own our, our land base. We were up to probably... I got to get my years right now. We were well over 500 members and we still didn't own any more land than we started out with. It was all rent. Most of it was rented. So, you know, that was a little, a little shaky, but we did it. And a lot of other farmers, you know, do it as well, renting a lot of land. Yeah. And what was it about the CSA, the Community Supported Agriculture model that really drew you in? You said when you first read those descriptions, it just, it felt natural, but it also was inspiring it sounds it, it made so much sense to have such a deep connection to the food to the land to the farmer growing the food and it was an economic model that made so much sense the farmer received the money you know in advance money stayed in the community and it was direct marketing farmer was able to set the price and was able to get all the money without any middle people and as far as a social model i mean it involved it involved the community. So individual people were involved with the farm, but also it was, you know, a community of people that were supporting a farm that were allowing, you know, this family farm to exist. This this farm that we bought, it had been a family farm. It had been a dairy farm, as so many farms in Wisconsin are and had been. It was not a farm. Nothing was grown here for about 10 years before we bought it. So we brought it back to life as a family farm. And that hence the the name community in Vermont Valley Community Farm. You wanted to have that. What what prompted that name choice? Or well, we are in the township of Vermont. Most people don't know it exists, and we're in a valley, and the farm is so community oriented. So after you know going crazy trying to think up a name, we just did what we thought was logical: Vermont Valley Community Farm. It works. It, it works. works. So how many members did you start with then when you first? We started big. We started with 50 shares, that, yeah. which is really ambitious. But we had moved from Madison. We had three kids. They were 13, 11, and 9 years old. They were in school. And we, we were both working city jobs. And our goal was to replace our city jobs and to be getting all of our income from our farm within five years. So, so you we, did have transition when you still had the, the job jobs. Right, right. And so we set the goal of 500 members within five years, looking at some really basic numbers in order to replace our city income. We place our city income and make our living off the farm. We figured that's what we needed to do. And the other thing is so many farmers accept the fact that they're lower income Farmers, they're just poor. They just don't make much money. And we thought that's nonsense. Farmers are such important people. And there's no reason that we should make less money than we did working our city jobs. They worked for the state and I worked at a nonprofit. And 
there was no reason that we should make less money than our members. So that was our goal also, to make a really adequate income farming. And we achieved these goals. We were up to 500 members within five years. The farm continued to grow. Our peak, we were packing out 1,800 boxes a week after about, I think, 16 or 18 years. And yeah, the farm just kept growing. And I think, you know, just the time that we started the farm, the community was just just ready for CSA. And we poured, yeah, we poured everything into our CSA and did, you know, so many things just to to make it a good CSA and a good experience for our members. And that has always been what you have done, right? The CSA. I mean, not other markets or other things or... No, we have done only CSA. Of course, and this might get into a later conversation when we start talking about risk management, but we just felt like we could do the best job possible if we poured all of our energy into the CSA, if all the vegetables that we grew were part of the CSA, if all of our time spent was spent trying to create a good community for the members that were part of the CSA. So although we were told, you know, it's really risky to to only focus on one thing, we said, okay, we don't really want to do anything else. We'll put our name in for the Dane County Farmers Market, which at that point was a very long waiting list. And after five years, our farm finally came up and they said, okay, you have a place at the mar- at the farmer's market. And we said, no, thank you. We have 500 <laughs> members. the only one who said that. But, but you had a strong base and you were at the right time too when things were really blooming. How was it marketing during during the, the earlier years of, of CSA in that when you said people were ripe, they still didn't understand the concept, right? Or the whole idea was new, but it clicked or... Was there a lot of education? That you it was to do? all education. Uh, you couldn't throw out CSA. You couldn't even throw out community-supported agriculture. No one knew what it was, and I say no one loosely. Of course, some people did, but basically, the community did not know what CSA was. And so, what I did in those first years was really beat the pavement. I would talk to any group that would hear me. I would talk to a garden group. I would talk to lots of. Um, like philanthropic groups and community service groups. I would talk to church groups. I would talk to school groups. Um, I would anybody host, would listen. <laughs> I would host. I would go to the library and put up, you know, put up signs and 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 talk. I would talk at the community room at Whole Foods, and I just, you know, any place that would want to host me talking about CSA is what I would do. And, you know, some of the the local newspapers would write articles because they became rather interested in what we were doing here on this corner of FNFF in the town of Vermont. But yeah, it was just, it was just beating the pavement. Members had, would have us over and they would invite their neighbors. So sort of like, you know, during political campaigns when you have like meet the, meet the candidate. Yeah. Well, so our members were doing meet the farmer and they would invite their friends and they would put up posters and I'd go to their house and have a slideshow and talk to all of their neighbors and friends that would come. And as soon as we, you know, after that first year, it was a lot of word of mouth. And that first year, it was most of mostly people from the Near East side of Madison. We had lived on the Near East side on the Isthmus. And so when we came out here, all of our friends 
decided to support this endeavor. When we stopped our CSA at the end of the 2018 season, um, many of those initial members were still, were, had still been members for all the 24 years. That is inspiring. And what I love about the story too, and I think this really is a natural fit for women farmers in particular, is all that outreach you were doing did so much more than just sell your shares, right? It right. grew the movement. Right. And that collaboration of CSAs. And even the fact that Fair Share, the, the CSA coalition here in Madison that was MACSAC back then, started immediately because everybody knew it was stronger together. Right. And that was also the unique thing about the CSA movement is we were stronger together and there was no sense of competition. It was only support and we got so much support from each other and we would, you know, we'd market together and brainstorm together and do everything together to grow the movement, not to say, I want more shares for my farm. Of course, you know, we all wanted more shares for our farm, but the shares were there to be had. So, and that's just, that was the beauty of CSA from the beginning and the beauty of CSA period is that it's a, it's very non-competitive and very cooperative. And I think that's what's really helped. And you've always had that strong priority of bringing your members on the farm too, right? That we're talking about the proximity from Madison, but what are some ways you've you did that over the years. You had all, I know you had all kinds of fun annual events and yeah. your pesto parties, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we did. We had we always had four festivals on the farm every year. We had our pesto fest, our corn boil, our pumpkin pick, and in the early years we had a pea pick until the weather started going just wonky on us and we could spring could never be guaranteed anymore. It was it was really interesting. Um, Climate change damper socialized. It, did. It, was, it became really hard to guarantee a good pea crop. So then we also had four tomato U picks. So for four consecutive weekends, we invited the members out um, to come and pick Roma tomatoes. We also had a really strong worker share program, the largest worker share program I have ever been aware of. It's probably the biggest one in existence. I mean, we at one season had 60 worker shares on the farm. Wow. The worker shares were the backbone of our labor force. Year five with our 500 CSA shares was the first year that we hired an employee. Up until then, up until that fifth year, all of the labor on this farm was done by worker shares. Um, now, of course, our kids worked on the farm as well. And by year five, Jesse would have been 18 years old. So he was he and our son, Eric, were spending their summers working full time on the farm. Um, our daughter never wanted anything to do with it. So she became the farm cook and she helped out in the packing shed. But field work was not for her. But the worker shares were it was just like another community aspect of the farm. And I really enjoyed organizing, the challenge of organizing them into crews and working with crews of worker shares. And they we always had more worker shares than we did hired employees. Throughout, throughout the, the entirety history. of the farm. Wow. And realizing things have grown and blossomed so much within the CSA movement, thanks to all of your and Dave's efforts and education, how where do you see the future? I mean, as far as somebody a new woman farmer, for example, coming in and loving the concept of CSA, but things 
being more saturated and more options and more markets. And I struggle with that because it's all good, right? More people are buying local, organic, etc. But how would you advise somebody to just navigate that or find out what their place might be? I think CSA has a solid place in the local food movement. And I know that a lot of CSA farmers are getting concerned because there is so much more availability of organic food at grocery stores. There are farmer's markets in every town. There's farmers a farmer's market every day of the week somewhere you know, that you can drive to. But CSA is still very, very unique in that it involves the membership in such a unique and creative way. And I think as long as CSA farmer keeps that in mind that that is one of the unique things that no one no other market can replicate is the community aspect of CSA and to really focus on that and to really involve the members you know CSA is not going away of course you know the food that you grow needs to be good but the community aspect of it is more important for a lot of people i mean when we would do surveys and get feedback from our members the food was important, yes, but it wasn't the most. Imp- it became, once the member had been a member of our farm for several years, it was not that weekly box or biweekly box that was the most important thing. It was the whole concept of the CSA and the whole community that had been created out here. Fantastic. Thank you, Barb. Thanks for listening to our In Her Boots podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiverest, with the Moses In Her Boots project. This episode's audio engineer was Liam Kiverest of TechSocket.net. The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, MOSES. The mission of MOSES is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable organic system of agriculture. For more information on MOSES, in her boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out MOSESorganic.org.